0: Chapter 8 of The Girl Who Had Nothing. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Girl Who Had Nothing by Mrs. C. N. Williamson. Chapter 8 Lord Northmuir's Young Relative. Awakened and informed of what had happened, the housekeeper called the doctor, who looked at the body and certified that death had resulted from failure of the heart, which must have been long diseased. Joan paid for a good oak coffin and a decent funeral. She bought a grave at Kensal Green and ordered a neat stone to be erected if she had previously earned mrs gon's gratitude she felt that she had now merited any reward which might accrue in future and the curious erasable tablet that did duty as her conscience was wiped clear the morning after mrs Gone's funeral the girl put on her favourite frock of grey cloth with a hat to match which had been bought at one of the most fashionable shops in monte carlo this costume with grey gloves grey shoes and a grey chiffon parasol ivory-handled gave joan an air of quiet smartness a combination particularly appropriate for the adventure which she had planned she hired a decorous brougham and said to the coachman DRIVE TO Northmere HOUSE, BELGRAVE SQUARE. It was but ten o'clock, and, as Joan had gleaned some information concerning the habits of the occupant, she was confident that he would be at home. Mrs. Gone had not been dead two hours when the girl began searching through her own scrapbook compiled of cuttings taken from society papers. Whenever she came across the description of any important member of the aristocracy, his or her home life, manners, fancies, and ways, she cut it out and pasted it into this book, in case it should become valuable for reference. The moment that the dying woman uttered the name of Northmuir, Joan's memory jumped to a paragraph, one of the first that had gone into the scrapbook and as soon as she could shut herself up in the little back room she had consulted her authority the earl of northmuir was according to the paper from which the cutting had been clipped still the handsomest man in england though now long past middle age once he had been among the most popular also but for some years he had lived more or less in retirement owing to illness and family bereavements seldom leaving his fine old town-house in belgrave square he'll be in london and he won't be the sort of man to go out before noon Joan said to herself her heart was beating more quickly than usual but her face was calm and untroubled as she stood on the great porch at northmuir house asking a footman in sober livery if lord northmuir were at home the girl in the grey dress and grey hat with large soft ostrich feathers might have been a young princess whatever she was she merited civility and the servant who could not wholly conceal surprise politely invited her to enter while he inquired if his lordship could receive a visitor what name shall i say he asked give him this please said joan handing the footman an envelope addressed to the earl of northmuir inside this envelope was a sheet of paper blank save for the words a messenger from mrs gone who is dead End quote. and the death notice was enclosed with this envelope the man went away leaving her to wait in a large and splendid drawing-room where stiffness of arrangement betrayed the absence of a woman's taste joan looked about appreciatively yet critically then when she had gained an impressionist picture of the room She glanced at the jewelled watch on her wrist, a present from Lady John Bevan after the sale of the Titania. What if Lord Northmuir had never known the dead woman under the name of Gone? What if, there were many things which might go wrong, and Joan had put her whole stake on a single chance? If she had been mistaken, but as her mind played among surmises, the footman returned. "'His lordship will see you in his study if you will kindly come this way,' the servant announced. Joan rose with quiet dignity and followed the man along a pillared hall to a closed door. "'The lady, my lord,' murmured the footman, in opening it. Joan was left alone with a singularly handsome old man, who sat in a huge cushioned chair by the fireplace it was summer still but a fire of shiplogs sparkled with changing rainbow lights on the stone hearth in a thin hand lord northmuir held an exquisitely bound book he must have been more than sixty but his features were of the cameo fine classic cut of which the beauty like that of old marble, never dies, and it was easy to see why he had once borne a reputation as the handsomest man in England. It was easy to see also, by his eyes, as they catalogued each item of Joan's beauty, that he had been a gallant man, not blind to the charms of women nevertheless his voice was cold as he spoke to the unexpected visitor i haven't the pleasure of knowing your name or why you have honoured me by calling he said forgive me not rising i am rather an invalid pray sit down there is something i can do for you several things lord northmuir returned the girl taking the chair his gesture had indicated you will tell me what they are i am anxious to tell you in the first place i wish to be a relation of yours and not a poor relation i wish to have a thousand pounds a year either permanently or until my marriage should i become the wife of a rich man through your introduction lord northmuir stared at the girl and if there were not genuine astonishment in his eyes He was a clever actor. "'You are a handsome young woman,' he said slowly, when she had finished. "'But I begin to be afraid that your mind is er, unfortunately—er—affected.' "'There is a weight upon it,' Joan replied. "'The weight of your secret. It's so heavy that unless you are very kind, I shall be tempted to throw the burden off by laying it upon others.' now the blood hummed in her ears if she had built a house of cards this was the moment when it would topple and bury her ambition in its ignominious downfall but lord northmuir's slow speech had quickened her hope for she said to herself that it was not spontaneous and gazing keenly into his face she saw the blood stain his forehead. She had staked on the right chance, yet the risk was not past. Her game was the game of bluff, but its success depended upon the man with whom she had to deal. "'I do not understand what you are talking about,' he said. "'I dare say I haven't made my meaning clear,' answered Joan, half-rising.' perhaps i'd better explain to my solicitor and get him to write a letter you are nothing more nor less than a common blackmailer lord northmuir exclaimed bringing down his white hand on the arm of his chair i may be nothing less but i am a good deal more than a common one retorted joan surer of her ground i will prove that if you force me to do it who are you he broke out abruptly i am a woman who knows she replied there was another woman who knew she called herself gone she is dead and i have come i have come to stay don't you understand that i can hand you over to the police demanded lord Northmuir, with difficulty controlling his voice so that it could not be heard by possible listeners outside the door. Yes, and I understand that I can hand your secret over to the police. They would know how to use it." He flushed again, and Joan saw that her daring shot had told. For the instant he had no answer ready, and she seized the opportunity to speak once more you can do better for yourself than hand me over to the police. There need be no trouble if you will realize that I am not a common person, and not to be treated as such. Again I ask, who are you? he cried. Joan risked another shot in the dark. Can't you make a guess? she asked, with a malicious suggestion of hidden meaning in her tone an expression of horror and surprise passed over lord northmuir's handsome face devastating it as a marching tornado devastates a landscape it was evident that he had made a guess and been thunderstruck by its answer joan's curiosity was so strongly roused that it touched physical pain almost she would have been ready to give one of her pretty fingers to know the secret do you still wish to ask questions she inquired heaven help me no what is it that you want i have told you already if i insisted on all i have a right to claim you would not be where you are she watched him he grew deathly and bowed his white head Joan felt sorry for the man now that he was at her mercy, but her imagination played with the secret as a child plays with a prism in the sunshine. Its flashing colors allured her. Oh, if I only knew something, she thought, something which would hold in law and could go through the courts, where might I not stand? I might reach one of the highest places a woman can fill. But it's no use. I must take what I can get and be thankful. And anyway, I can't help pitying him a little, though I'm sure he doesn't deserve it. He's old and tired, and I won't make him suffer more than is necessary for the game." Joan again named her terms, this time with much ornamental detail she was to be a newly discovered orphan cousin her name was to be as it had been in cornwall mercy milton she was to be invited to visit for an indefinite length of time at Northmere house her noble relative was to exert himself to the extent of giving entertainments to introduce her to his most influential and highly placed friends he was also to make her an allowance of a thousand pounds a year don't think if you gamble away as as the other did that i will go beyond this bargain for i will not cried lord Northmuir, with a testy desire to assert himself and show that he was not wholly to be cowed i don't gamble except with fate said joan this exclamation of his explained one or two things which had been dark she guessed now why mrs gone evidently used to luxuries had been reduced to living on the charity of a boarding-house keeper and why it had been necessary to wait until she should be well enough to go out before she could obtain remittances having concluded her arrangement with lord northmuir and settled to become his relative and guest joan went back in her brougham to woburn place she told miss witt that she had been called away packed her things left such as she would not want in belgrave square in boxes at the boarding-house delighted the housekeeper with many gifts and the following morning drove off with a pile of luggage on a cab Turning the corner at Woburn Place into the next street, she also turned a corner in her career, and for the third time ceased to be Joan Carthew. She had chosen to take up her lately laid-down part of Mercy Milton for two reasons. One was that in this character as she had played it in Cornwall, with meekly parted hair, soft downcast eyes simple manners and simple frocks she was not likely to be recognised by any one who had known the dashing and magnificent miss jenny mordaunt while if she should come across cornish acquaintances there was nothing in her new position which need invalidate the story of lady Pendered's gentle sister if lord northmuir had looked forward with dread to the intrusion of the adventuress whom he was forced to receive he soon found that beyond the galling knowledge of his bondage he had nothing disagreeable to fear the young cousin did not attempt to interfere with his habits after he had provided her with acquaintances who increased after the manner of a snowball stamp competition the two usually lunched and dined together and at first that was all but miss mercy milton made herself charming at table never referred by word or look to the loathed secret and was so tactful that to his extreme surprise almost horror the man found himself looking forward to the hours of meeting joan was not slow to see this indeed she had been working up to it when the right time came she volunteered to help lord northmuir with his letters he had no secretary and to read aloud at the end of six months she had become indispensable and he would have wondered how existence had been possible without his treasure had he dwelt upon the dangerous subject at all. If, however, the blackmailer's instalment in the household had turned out an agreeable disappointment to the blackmailed, it was a disappointment of another kind to the author of the plot joan carthew did not find life in belgrave square half as amusing as she had pictured it and though she was surrounded by luxury which might be hers as long as lord northmuir lived each day she grew more restless and discontented she had found society on the riviera delightful but the butterfly crowd which fluttered between nice and monte carlo had little resemblance to that with which she came in contact as Lord Northmuir's cousin. Jenny Mordaunt could do much as she pleased. At worst she was put down as a mad American, my dear. But Mercy Milton had the family dignity to live up to. Lord Northmuir's adopted relative could not afford to be cut by the primest dowager and being an ideal conventional english girl in the best society did not suit joan's roaming fancies it was supposed that she would be lord northmere's heiress consequently mothers of eligible young men were charming to her which would have been convenient if joan had happened to want one of their sons but not one of the men who sent her flowers and begged for extras at dances would she have married if he had been the last existing specimen of his sex this was annoying for in planning her campaign joan had resolved to marry well and settle satisfactorily for life now however she found that it was simpler to decide upon a mercenary marriage in the abstract than when it became a personal question at the close of a year with lord northmuir she had saved seven hundred pounds and at last after a sleepless night she made up her mind to take a step which was in a way a confession of failure She went to Lord Northmuir's study as usual in the morning, but this time it was not to act as reader or amanuensis. It's a year to-day since I came, she said abruptly, with a purposeful look on her face, which the man felt was ominous. Yes, he answered, a strange year, but not an unhappy one. What I regarded as a curse has turned out a blessing. I should miss the albatross now if it were to be taken off my neck i'm sorry for that said joan for the albatross has revived and intends to fly away what you will marry no i'm tired of being conventional i've decided to relieve you of my presence here and you can forget me except when each quarter you sign a cheque for two hundred and fifty pounds lord northmuir's handsome face grew almost as white as when she had first announced her claim upon him i don't want to forget you i can't forget you he stammered if i could i would publish the whole truth but that is impossible for the honour of the name you have made me fond of you made me depend upon you why did you do that if you meant to leave me alone.' "'I didn't mean it at first, replied Joan frankly. "'I thought I should be in clover here. And so I have been. But too much clover upsets the digestion. I must go, Lord Northmuir. I can't stand it any longer. I'm pining for adventures. Have you fallen in love?' "'No. I wish I had.' i've been trying in vain a year ago i would not have believed it possible that i should make you such an offer but you have wrought a miracle you came to blackmail you remained to bless stay with me my girl till i die and not only shall you be remembered in my will but i will increase your allowance from one thousand to two thousand a year i can afford to do this since you have become the one luxury i can't live without i was just beginning to say that if you would let me go without a fuss i would take five hundred instead of a thousand a year but now i have shown you my heart you see that offer does not appeal to me joan broke out laughing this upsetting of the whole situation was so humorous a sudden reckless impulse seized her she could not resist it lord northmuir you will change your mind when i have told you something she said i have played a trick on you i have no connection with your family and know no more about your secret than i know what will be in to-morrow's papers mrs gone in dying mentioned a secret and your name I put two and two together, and they matched so well that I've lived on you for a year, bought lots of dresses, made crowds of friends, had heaps of proposals, and kept seven hundred pounds in hand. Now I think you will be willing to let me go, and you can lie easy and live happy forever after. Having launched the thunderbolt, she would have left the room, but lord northmuir old and invalided as he was sprang from his chair like an ardent youth and caught her arm by jove you shan't leave me like that he cried you have made your first mistake my dear instead of being in your power you have put yourself in mine i need fear you no longer but as a trickster I love you no less than I did as a blackmailer. Indeed, I love you the more for your diabolical cleverness, you beautiful wretch. Stay with me, not as the little adopted cousin living on charity, but as my wife and mistress of this house. Or, if you will not, I shall denounce you to the police. For once, Joan was dumbfounded the tables had been turned upon her with a vengeance she gasped and could not answer you see it is my turn to dictate terms now said lord Northmuir. joan's breath had come back you are right she returned in a meek voice i have given you the reins but well it would be something to be countess of Northmuir." don't hope to be a widowed countess chuckled the old man i am only sixty-nine and for the last ten years i have taken good care of myself i count on nothing after this said joan you consent then how can i do otherwise lord Northmuir laughed out in his triumph over her the notice of the engagement will go to the morning post immediately he said to-morrow some of our friends will be surprised but it was he who was surprised for when to-morrow came joan had run away end of chapter eight